Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as a pretty good leader until you compare me with Travis Kalanick, and then I'm Abraham Lincoln. But in my spare time, I'm just a reporter, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about power change and the people you need to know. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Frances Fry, a professor of technology and operations management at the Harvard Business School. She's been on the show before, very bravely, back in 2017, after she joined Uber to try to fix its culture. Frances has since worked with Riot Games and WeWork and is the author of a new book with her wife, Anne Morris. It's called Unleashed, the Unapologetic Leader's Guide to Empowering Everyone Around You. We're recording this in early May, but the book is out on June 2nd when we will air this, presumably. Frances, welcome back to Recode Decode. Thanks so much, Kara. Pleasure to be here. So there's so much to talk about since we last spoke. You were very game to come and talk to me. Most Uber people wouldn't because I was pretty tough on them, but you had gone there. And I, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about your and, and your new book uh, and also some things that went on at WeWork. You were on the board there briefly. But I'd love to talk to first you about your partner. She can't be on. She was going to come on. Um, and she has coronavirus, presumably, you think? Yes, yes. And uh, it's been a really nasty form of it in that it keeps a persistent fever. So it's not life-threatening, mm-hmm. but it keeps a consistent fever, which gets in the way of sleeping and gets in a way of... Of, keeps her contagious. And so our boys are staying with their beloved nanny, which is uh, heart-wrenching. Yeah. So you're there taking care of her. Uh, yes. And that shouldn't comfort anyone. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so you, you're fine, though. You don't have your asymptomatic. I don't have it. Yeah. Uh, that's astonishing. Is she, is she, but she's not under any danger, correct? You're watching she's not under any danger, just right. going crazy. Yeah. And the yeah. fever. Well, you know, it's fascinating how different people react to this virus. It's such an I hate to call that virus fascinating, but it really is. It has certain attributes that are really quite perplexing for doctors and and the way it impacts different people and in different ways, whether it's their kidney or their blood clotting or something like that. It's really seems to attack your most vulnerable part of you, which is really hard to deal with. Yeah. So how has that been? You guys just finished a book. So talk a little bit about this book you did together and explain why you did a book together. Yeah, so it's our second book together. We wrote um, a book back in 2013. Um, and this one, we we do, we do work together. Like, we do big projects together. It's our favorite thing to do. And actually, the idea for the book came after being at Uber. And so I was at Uber for a year and then was heading back to HBS. And I realized that um, 
women, people of color, people that are different in general, and difference has a lot of categories, they were not reaching their full position in yeah, organizations. Yeah, you and I talked about this over breakfast. Yeah. yeah. And so, and I thought if I, 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 we had insights into why um, we were willing to run some experiments to see if we were right. And then, uh, so I thought I could go back to HBS and be bummed about it, or I could take an additional year and try to do something about it. And so we figured out some of the things that are getting in the way, and then we wrote the book so that we can and you have make been it doing a project working with corporations. Is that correct? Is that was that yeah. part of this research? Yes, and so, so explain and explain that as you explain yeah. it to me. So the the leadership consortium, which is a company run by now run by uh, several HBS grads, the awesome women that are running it. The observation was that if people that are different are not achieving their place in an organization. Why was it? We found out that there were three obstacles getting in the way and all three of the obstacles we could address. Uh, so one of the obstacles was, you know, you're a general counsel for the whole time that you're at an organization, a general a lot management of women, job. A lot of a women. Lot of women right? Yeah. A general yeah. management job comes up, COO or whatever it is, and you put your hat in the ring. And the response was always, oh my gosh, you're awesome. It requires these five requirements. You're missing one. Yeah. Too bad. And the suggestion was, you know, it, if only you had gone back in time and had the right experience. Mm -hmm. So I had a couple of observations there. One is that there were five requirements. There was never a relaxation of a requirement for a woman or a person of color. There was occasionally a relaxation of a requirement for someone who was in the majority. Oh, wow. That's a surprise. So, <laughs> so I... You're not actually in the majority, but go ahead. Yes. But yeah. so majority I didn't jobs. want to... Yeah, in power, I guess. Uh -huh. Um I didn't want to change that. I wanted to give an, another experience that would be credible. And right. so we worked on how what's like the shortest period of time you could give someone a credible experience so that they could do these things. So they have that and, asset. So they there. have that asset. It turns right. out it's about three months. Right. That you can, <laughs> but it's really hard to do it in your same company. Right. Because of all this. But if you go to another company mm -hmm. and that and company- get that experience. Then you can get that experience. So a general so that, council could go work on operations or exactly right manufacturing. Exactly right. Exactly right. right. And it's about three months. Now that's one thing. The other thing is that so they bring back the credits to their new job to their old job. Yes, if the company's going to accept them as credits, correct? Yeah, and and it's like that's going to the. College. Um, I mean, if if what's really holding them back is the lack of experience, this gives them the experience. Now, if the company didn't really want them to begin with, that's addressing a different thing. The other thing was that if you were in a general council for all of this time and you were great, there could have been, you might not be current in education across a whole bunch of things. You know, people that learned strategy 10 years ago learned the art of war. I'm pretty sure they'll have that on their desk. That's not how we teach strategy today. In fact, that's terrible strategy. Even people that learned marketing, and I think there were four Ps or five Ps, it's a terrible way to learn marketing today. So the other part of the curriculum is that we got super current on all of the general management. So marketing, strategy, operations, finance, like super duper current so that you both understood it and also so you could have swagger. Because when we don't understand something, it kind of makes us recoil. And when we do understand yeah. something- Well, we women do. Men don't always do. <laughs> Just FYI. So, so swagger is important. I think swagger is really important. We found that what was getting in the way was the broad current education. And so we did that to help provide it. And then the other thing is that we 
really and these are courses in, at HBS that would um, well, yeah HBS things. we used HBS's platform which is amazing anyone who you can educate up to 2,500 people at a time we were we were doing it with about 250 people at a time uh, but HBS professors teaching folks and so these these interventions have worked so we would the other thing we learned is that you can't do it it's hard to do it with one company that you need a consortium of companies so that you can learn in the majority. So one of the hard things is constantly being in the minority everywhere you go. So we created the conditions where we would partner with five or six companies. It would be vast majority women, vast majority people of color. We would have some white men in there, um, but they got the privilege, many for the first time, of learning in the minority, which I think is super important. So we created the climate for learning. We got the right content. We got the right set of experiences and we piloted it. It's worked ridiculously well. Right, where people get the actual jobs. Yes. So talk a little bit when you're saying, um, what does the title mean? And Ann, Ann, explain what Anne does, because you're speaking for her too. And again, yes. yeah. I hope so, she's And well. Anne and I do all of our work together. Uh, Anne is a beautiful writer. I'm a pretty good editor, so that should be the first. So if you gave me a blank sheet of paper, I would certainly give it back to you the next day. Right. Um, so <laughs> Anne, like <laughs> just, I definitely would. So Anne is a beautiful writer, and she thinks when she writes. And so she would write, and I would edit. And then when we were ever stuck on something, I would go out into the world and test it. Right. Okay. And see, and so we, it was a totally collaborative process. And her background is? She's a serial entrepreneur and has a keen insight into leadership. She had her first big leadership job when she was 14 in uh, South America. So she's, um, she's a great leader, a keen sense of starting companies and wants to make the world a better place. And words are her superpower. So let's. Let's talk a little bit about what the, the title is, is Unapologetic Leader's Guide to Empowerment Around You. So there's two things that work. Unapologetic means you do what you want and also empower. You're talking about empowering people. I mean, yeah, I'm so the pretty unapolog unapologetic as a person. Yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to empower anybody. That, <laughs> uh, unapologetic, I think, is important because many of us do less than we should because we're apologetic about it. So the same way where women apologize too much and where... Yeah. So we want people to be unleashed in service of others. There's some people that are in service of themselves. I'd like them to be a little more apologetic, <laughs> but the unapologetic in service of others. So take that apart. What does unapologetic mean to you right now in terms of leadership? And later I want to talk about coronavirus and what kind of yeah. uh, things happen in this yeah. environment for leaders. So here's the thing, um, for you to do something that's really important. So I'll pick one that I care a lot about, which is the, uh, if I look at the composition of a senior leadership team and it's mostly men, mostly white men, and the organization will say to me, you know, we just can't find any good women. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I, with the cartoon, want to blow my head off because it's, um, but I think we have to be unapologetic about how high we hold the standards for people. You'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, it's really hard not to find good women. I could find you all the women you need in 24 hours. So it's it's saying to the same companies that can land a space shuttle on the moon mm -hmm. that being unapologetic about addressing these other problems that are like confronting a lot of humanity. So I think it's unapologetic in the ambition and people are going to, it's like not polite to do it. It's so much more polite to go along with the majority, so much more polite. I wouldn't know about that. But but I mean, when you say <laughs> unapologetic, like th that you just, this is the, you're, you're doing in the right thing to do, not 
unapologetic in the narcissistic it's unapologetic way. Because it's often the, seen as, and I'm going to yeah. do, like, I'm thinking of Elon Musk this week with his tweets. Like, he just started tweeting stuff that he wasn't supposed to. Also some stuff that's, uh, what are you doing, dude? Um, but that's unapologetic. I would call that yeah. unapologetic. So I think it's, but perhaps not unapologetic in the service of others. Okay. All right. Just for his own amusement. Yeah. So it's the unapologetic in the towards the empowerment of other people. Can those two go together? I mean, when you when you're studying people who are unapologetic, I could name a dozen different leaders. Travis Kalanick, we'll talk about him later, but um, who are unapologetic, and they they use that as a badge of honor. This is I'm going to do it the way I want to do it, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to break some glass. And et cetera, I love et cetera. the word unapologetic only, and I don't want to give it away to people who have used it for their own interests as opposed to others, because no one's going to give anyone permission to do it. Like all the stuff we talk about in the book, nobody gave us permission to do it. And if we stopped and waited for permission, we'd never get there. But I do have implicit in it, it's that it's in the service of others. Right. Okay. So it has to be for a very good reason. How do you foment that quality though? Because it is often a selfish quality. So it's not an unself among leaders. I think that if we start with a noble purpose, and you realize, like, what are the obstacles to getting there? And we have to be unapologetic in our ambition to do it. Like, because there are so many off-ramps, so many, so many, so many off-ramps to not achieve a noble mission. And we just got to kind of put blinders on and go for it. Uh-huh. As long as you have that at the start. I think a noble purpose really matters for many, many things. But it's not been that linked with business, correct? I mean, how do you get, like, when you were doing this, project, it makes sense. You're going to get more qualified people. And I assume the sale is we're going to get you people who are better than you think. And then we're going to thump everyone else. Thump, meaning? Thump, we're going to beat everyone. I mean, it's like, it's an unfair fight if I get to have, if I get to fish up through the pond of all humanity and you only get to fish in the pond of a narrow slice of humanity, I'm going to thump you. So it's also like fear-based almost in that the way you're doing it is the way it's been done for a long time. And this is why companies go into power and come out of power. And how, is that is that how you sell it to them in terms of you're going to do better as a company, but not there's a say noble purpose to a lot of CEOs. Yeah. They're like, mm, not so interested. Well, for, so for this in particular, there's a performance imperative and a moral imperative. They happen to both go to the same place. I think that if people are coming from a moral argument, I'm okay giving them the moral. And if people are coming from a performance place, I'm doing that. If you ask me, where do I naturally, I'm naturally at the performance imperative. Like I like to create things that win and... Um, I'm also deeply, deeply um, satisfied that it's also in my particular values, the right thing to do. The right thing to do. But do you find when you're dealing with, you know, you, you consult with a lot of CEOs that performance always beats the noble. Initiative. Unless somebody has come to them. So a lot of companies, they'll go, they'll say, oh, I care about diversity now. It's because someone else put the moral imperative on them. It's not because they believe in the performance. Well, part it's of usually it. number fourteen down the list, and therefore it's on the list. And they certainly, I think, genuinely care about it. It's just that it doesn't. You never. Yeah. It's like cleaning out the closet. I'm never. It's never yeah. happening. I also find it's that they haven't been given the secret memo on how to do it. Um, uh -huh. And so I think we figured out the secret memo on how to do it, and it's it's really doable, and you get results, performance results immediately. Okay, we're going to talk about how to do it when we get back. Okay. We're here with Francis Fry, the co-author of Unleashed, The Unapologetic Leader's Guide to Empowering Everyone Around You. She wrote it with her wife, Ann Morris. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back after this. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Here's the story of innovation told in five words. Try. Explore. 
Connect. Pivot. Transform. See what happened there? As soon as Connect entered the story, innovation became achievable. That's why Deloitte works with clients and tech alliances to bring together the people, ideas, and technologies to overcome, solve, and of course, transform. Connect to what matters for innovation. Start at Deloitte.com slash US slash innovate. Support for this podcast comes from HIMSS. It can be challenging for men to speak about their health, and whether that's a fear of being vulnerable or just wanting to keep things private, there are just some things we would just rather keep to ourselves. HIMSS knows how you feel, which is why they're looking to provide you the help you need discreetly. HIMSS is a men's healthcare brand looking to provide simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for men. The entire process is 100% online, so you can get a new routine of improving your overall health in private. If prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No waiting rooms and no pharmacy visits. So while it can be tough to deal with this part of your life, it doesn't mean you have to do it alone. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash decoder. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash decoder for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash decoder. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash decoder for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. We're back with Frances Fry, the co-author of Unleashed, the Unapologetic Leader's Guide to Empowering Everyone Around You. She's also a Harvard uh, Business School professor of technology and operations. So talk about what are the secrets. Talk about what are the secrets. And then I want some real-life examples of your life because you worked a lot of companies that were highly controversial where you tried real hard uh, yeah. and pushed up boulder up a hill as far as I can tell. But go ahead. <laughs> um, so I think on the side of when we were talking about for difference, but the, the secret memo to it is that if you look at, oh my gosh, we don't have enough women at the top of the organization, what should we do? Nobody knows what to do. Well, we can break it down to you either have a selection problem, development, promotion, or retention. So let's figure out which of those are. And for level five employees and then more senior employees, it might be something different. Whichever one of those it is, uh, we can then go and double click on it. So let's say it's on selection. I can't find any great women. Well, uh-huh. I mean, it's just, it's like... I look at you and I say it and it's just, <laughs> I'm trying to pretend that I can imagine it, but let's say that you can imagine it. And first of all, uh, somebody could call you and ask you who the great women are in tech. Somebody could call, like, great women know where great women are. Right. What's probably happening is that the great women aren't knocking on your door because you have sent repelling signals out uh-huh. so that you have to reveal that you are worthy of great women, but that we can't find any. Like I have some academic departments where the field is 50% women. The academic department at a particular school is 90% men. And they say, we can't find any great women. Uh, it's because you're just walking back and forth to each other's offices. Right. <laughs> and there are right. no women in those offices, but you just have right. to go out and see where they are. So for tech, I mean, as you know better than I do, but Go to the Grace Hopper Conference. When people say, I can't find women in tech, go to the Grace Hopper Conference. Go to Lesbians Who Tech and try not to find great women. It'll be impossible. Well, it's that easy for every group, whether it's women, whether it's people of color. Like if you want to find a African-American lawyer in New York City, go to the steps of the 1844 Club. 
all African-American lawyers. They will know who other African-American lawyers are. It takes so little time. But here's what doesn't work. Let's do a big search. Let's come up with a list. Let's get a balanced slate. That stuff guarantees, well, that guarantees past results. It's using the same technique that worked before. So the words I get really scared are are things like balanced slates. Like, that's our way to get women. No, it's not. That's your way to get exactly who you have today. Right, um, right. The same kind of people. And by the way, balanced slates have never worked. Even when they came up, they, this was from the NFL to try to get more black football coaches. There are no more black football coaches today than 15 years ago when they started balanced slates. But somehow it took hold that I get credit for trying. I don't want to give anyone any credit for trying. Outcome oriented. All right. So outcome, no matter what it is, give, give the example. So that's selection. What else? So then development. Let's say you're getting awesome women, but they're not getting any traction. Why are they not getting traction? It could be that you're treating men and women the same and you should be treating them differently. Or it could be that you're treating them differently and you should be treating them the same. That part is super important. Somehow we got to this notion that equal treatment is fair. It's not. <laughs> like equal treatment, if you're in identical contexts, is fair. But Equal, I want equal access to thriving. Your obstacles might be different than mine. So give me an example in tech. Give me an example in tech, for example. Yeah, sure. So uh, for men and women, um, and I guess I'll do moms and non-moms. Right. But if daycare centers open after the the first senior meeting, you have not given equal access to thriving. And so we can either get daycare to open sooner or push the meeting later. Uh, That's just like one example that exists in so many. I mean, it's less and less today, but Mm -hmm. three years ago. Oh, it's today. Yeah, it was just everywhere. So there's so here's how I do it for women. If that's what I care about, I go and find what's the indignities list. This will take anthropologically 24 hours. Yeah, (laughs) Child, child care is going to be one of there's going to be pandemic has really shown it to me it really has and I mean, we can never look away and then convert the indignities list to a dignities list uh-huh. one Which to is, one what's a dignities list? explain like so how can child I, care can, child care could be one or for older employees that like this will sound silly but uh, if you want to park at your so at hbs faculty didn't want to retire yeah a reason, there are so many indignities we did the day after you retire, but one of them was you have to pay for year-round parking at HBS. Well, after you retire, you're going to come in like 10, 20 days a year, and you have to pay for year-round parking. So they don't want to buy a parking pass. Well, then it's so hard to come in without the parking pass. Once yeah. you know what they are, yeah. then just create the dignities. Uh, wow. Like when you retire, you get unlimited parking passes. Yeah. <laughs> But it starts with it, and it literally, it's as simple as the indignities list. And be super open, because like twenty-nine-year-old women today, the list could be different than twenty-nine-year-old women in five years or five years ago, or thirty-five-year-old women. Or you know, they're, they're very different. Yeah. You're right. That's a real indignities. I'm going to create an indignities. I'm indignant. <laughs> I'm constantly indignant, Francis. <laughs> and then you get to have the dignities list that you transfer it to. Okay. I just would rather be indignant okay. all the time. Uh, you're all right. Good at and it. so, um, so what else? What other secrets are there? So that's on the promotion. So promotion is one that, listen, if men and women are getting promoted at different rates. Yeah, they are. Okay. So then there's two things that going on and you have to stay open-minded through the two of them because you can solve either. But it's either that men are more prepared 
or it's that we're making biased decisions. If it's we're making biased decisions, there's a whole set of things we can do about debiasing the decision making. But if men are more prepared, doing all of this debiasing actually is going to bring cynicism into the organization. If men are more prepared, then let's find out what's holding women back. So I have found that in a couple of places. I found both. And the solutions work for both, but the solutions don't cross. So how do you get people to listen to you to do this? Now, I want to talk about your world experiences. How do yeah. you look back on Uber? You, what you were, you yeah. were, I'm wearing an Uber t-shirt right now as a joke for Scott Which Galloway. Which is just it's, like it's the perfect. best thing ever. Yeah, you wore it every day. Like I'm an, yeah. And I stopped wearing it because I got like attacked on the street. Um, and you wore it. You were like, I'm going to wear it to show I'm proud of this company. And yes. you, tr you had such a sunny view, and I had such a not sunny view of, the, of that particular leader and that company's culture, and I thought it was hard to shift without replacing him. What Talk about that. I mean, there you yeah. have a situation where you were going in to do that, that yes. very thing. Yeah. So well, how do you look back on it? Um, I went in to help on leadership and strategy. The culture's changed. and so Well, now the, it is. He's gone. Like, there's a new leader. Yeah, and so we can quibble about whether or not it could have been done on his watch. It was, you know, it will be taste great, less filling for the whole uh, time. But for sure, it's completely different. And many of the things started on his watch for how to do it. And then Dara was like perfectly suited to come in and to continue it. Uh, so he, it's completely different now. Like all of the things, like the tragedies that Susan Fowler went in, it's just impossible for me to imagine that they would go on now. You might say that it's all Dara and then, um, no. yeah, but I, but here's what I say. The culture is completely different. It took about nine months. Uh-huh. And what were the key elements of that besides the changing of leadership? Well, I think that it was that before, and this is with like a lot of startups, the values are handed on from up high. Like here are the, here are our values and the founder will have them. Now what happens is the values get weaponized along the way. And by weaponized, I mean it was, you know, toe-stepping is the famous one for Travis. You know, he wanted people to not get slammed by their direct manager. He wanted, going up, he wanted you to be able to step on toes to have the right thing happen. That's not how it got manifested. It got manifested that we're going to step on the toes of people underneath us. As soon as a value is weaponized, you got to let it go and come up with a new one. Travis and many founders couldn't do that. They were like, it's being implemented incorrectly. We just have to educate people. That I no longer believe to be true. Once it's weaponized, you got to let it go. I've seen other organizations that had default to trust. Right. Sounds great, right? Like everyone- What does that even give, mean? Well, give people the benefit of the doubt. Right. Okay. Right. But what would happen is a manager, when some a junior person would question, the manager would say, dude, default to trust. That's not what it's supposed to mean. That got weaponized. So cultural values will become weaponized. When they do, instead of coming up with new ones and handing them down, now surface the values from the bottom up. Involve the whole organization. We have super clear processes for how to do it. Involve the whole organization. And what I have found is they keep 60% of the old values. And then they come up with new values that are current for 2018. I mean, we did this in the fall of 2017 at Uber, and we've done it with other companies. And then the values really work. And I bet five years later, you got to go through that exercise again, because there'll be a song that weaponized a value or something will happen that uh, that will do that. Right. And so how do you look back on that experience? Uh, you know, you did have an unapologetic leader, but it was not necessarily noble. And maybe he shifted that way, but it was far too late. Well, Travis and I overlapped for about 12 days. 
Right. Oh, um, right. That's right. When my, you got there. Right. When I got there. So I was um, I was with the senior team for the summer. Well, talk about that. Now, of course, they're getting slammed by the pandemic, which is completely an external attack. It's a completely external attack. You know, I remember, so the last time that we talked, I came down and talked to you. It was at day three of our three-day strategy offsite with the senior team. And I ran that to make sure that everyone thought about strategy the same way. What everyone told me, it was their first leadership offsite. And this is a company of 15,000 people. And we did amazing work in there. We In there, we were like, look, the only way we're going to win is if we differentiate on strategy. And the only way we know we're differentiating on strategy is we get paid extra for doing it. Like we came up with a lot of the seeds of what then takes a while to get implemented. So I look back on the work and I was like, these are the most eager learners I've ever seen. We got to educate the vast majority of them on leadership and on strategy, which helped their decision making. We got an amazing CEO who was right for the moment. And I became obsolete, which is my whole idea about leadership is that you have to make people better as a result of your presence in a way that lasts into your absence. And Travis needed help on leadership. He uh, he very much asked for it. And then he got strategy, but he didn't know how to communicate it. And I could help teach people so that we could all understand it commonly. Dara came in and he doesn't, you know, he didn't want nor need help on strategy. And so as soon as we put the punctuation on the leadership and on the culture, it just seemed like it was done. But I look back at it as a terrific success. You do. Because... How could you not? It's like yeah. the culture turned around. Look, you remember July 2017. That company could have gone either way. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. No, absolutely. I can wear the t-shirt again. Yeah. Um, they have other issues still around workers, and they still continue to be hostile to workers. Is where I think most people feel that. And that's, that's because their business plan is part of that. I think so. I on. think they have, they still have a strategic problem. And I think that any of those problems, you certainly can't blame Travis, of which you no. very, you, you, well, blame, it's the business. Yeah. It's, a, it's the strategic side of it. I personally think that you could create an amazing business that had terrific dignity for all Agreed. of the stakeholders. I agree. I you completely could. 100%. still agree with that statement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it actually, that's one of the DNA things that didn't ever leave because Travis did say that you don't need the, he, the, the, you know, it, it's also extends at Amazon the, to workers. They're trying really hard to turn back that idea of their, uh, the way they treat workers, but I think it still stuck has stuck with companies like that. I would like to give Amazon this book. Um, okay, I'd like we're going to get to that. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to get to that in a yeah. minute. Um, and then you very, you went to very quickly went to WeWork and joined the board. I was literally like, Francis, what do you stop rushing into to buildings that are on fire? What? I was well, like, are you? Well, to be idiot? clear, <laughs> no, no, no. To be clear, um, it wasn't until Jan, like February of 2019, when I went to. WeWork. And I went when WeWork was doing great. And they had really wonderful ambitions. The CEO and uh, the general counsel said, look, we have tried all we can. The organization is 50% men, 50% women, and our senior leadership team is appalling demographically. Can you help us find A players that can fill out the team? I was like, we could definitely have a more diverse team. And then can you teach our leaders how to do it? And then they said, we don't have trust with some of our constituents. Can you teach us how to do that? So they had like an amazing list of things they wanted. And this was in really good times. So we first did one unit and it's now more than 50% women. It's better than it's ever been. Like we did an amazing pilot with one of the areas and then we're training everyone else. And then the bombshell hit in 
uh, August. It's called an S1, but go yeah. ahead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, the S1, and, and I think the bombshell of that, so many people learned so many things in the S1. Uh, yes. So I didn't yes. know the anything truth. that was yeah. written there. So I think that was the bombshell part of it. So I'm in there with this company that I believe in. I have, again, educated most of the people there. I, it's the greatest service I've ever experienced. Like, it's a service culture that is amazing. I like the people. It's a nice product. We never it's, said it was. Yeah. It's just so not then, what it's worth. Yeah. Uh, so then they said, look, we're in this mess. After this mess, will you join the board? Like, after it IPOs. And I thought, you know what? It will take that long to solve all the problems I agreed to come in and do. So sure, like because when I'm I'm like in, I I will do it. Now it never IPO'd, so I never formally joined the board. And then it went from one CEO to another CEO to another CEO, and then the external crises, and then the things that I was asked to come in and do were no longer at the top of their priority list. So. I still like them very much. I still support them. I don't work actively with them because they aren't doing the things that we originally right. and did you, wanted to do. And were you surprised by all this stuff, especially, you know, I yeah. had heard all kinds of things about Adam Newman's behavior in general. Uh, I think a lot of people did, but were you surprised by that and not? Yeah, more? I mean, I'm very surprised at reading it. And I actually still don't know what's true and what's not. I found Adam to be... You know, again, for the noble purpose, like uh, Anne's first company was started in a WeWork. It was amazing. It was a global company. His ambition was to do the right thing during good times. That's why they brought me in to do it. So I liked him very much uh, as the senior team. I didn't interact with him as much as Travis. Like Travis and I were in it 24-7. Adam was doing many things, but I never had an interaction that caused me to question Adam. Not one. Not one. In fact, quite the opposite. I found his audacity inspiring because it was for the right reason um, in that we could serve that many more people. And the service was amazing. So, and he also, like, he asked me to do things like, he's like, look, the most important part of this company is the community, but they don't have the best job in the world. Will you help us make sure they get the best job in the world that's, that is worthy of them? Right. Yes, I will. <laughs> like, you know, yes. I just, it was amazing what he yeah, wanted. Yeah, what he was saying to, to you. Now, of course, he was owning everything and self-dealing. And I, I, that, fi- I, yeah. I find it to be a zealot. I mean, there's a good side to a zealot and there's a bad side yeah. to a zealot. You know what I mean? Like, I, and some of the stuff he said to people were pretty problematic, I think. But still, nonetheless, you're not working with them anymore. And stuff like I'm that. not working with them anymore. They're, they're what, now you're on joining the-, the J. Crew board next? No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right, when we get back, we're gonna, speaking of J. Crew, we're going to talk about uh, coronavirus and its impact and what a leader should do now, what what it takes to be a leader right now. We're here with Francis Fry, the co-author of Unleash, the Unapologetic Leader's Guide to Empowering Everyone Around You. Her co-author is her wife, Ann Morris, who is indisposed because of uh, probably coronavirus. And we'll talk about uh, what, what leaders uh, need to do when we get back. Support for Decoder comes from Shopify. Some people might say cat memes built the internet, but it's e-commerce that keeps the lights on. If you've dreamt of building a business, Shopify can be a great place to start. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. It doesn't matter if you're a well-established global brand or selling handcrafted goods out of your home workshop. Shopify has the tools to help you go further. Like their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic, or their built-in marketing tools, 
that can help you create, execute, and analyze campaigns. You can sell wherever, too, online or with their in-person point-of-sale system. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash decoder, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash decoder now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash decoder. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We're here with Frances Fry, a professor of technology and operations management at Harvard Business School. She's got a book out she uh, co-wrote with her wife, Ann Morris, uh, called Unleash, the Unapologetic Leader's Guide to Empowering Everyone Around You. So, Frances, uh, I was joking with, like, where are you going to go next? Like, what, what evil company are you going to go next to? But tell me a little bit of where you hope this will go. And I do want to talk about how you lead in the coronavirus crisis. So, I mean, where I hope the book will go, is that the... Is, yeah, what do yeah. you hope people will yeah. do? Like that they get it? Because this is not a time where everyone's going to be doing good things. They're going to be scrabbling to survive. Yeah. And I think the way to survive is to create the conditions for more and more varied people to thrive. So... From a, an entirely, like if I was running an organization and I wanted to win, I would look for how to bring out the best in more and more varied people. And I think one of the things that this virus has done, you know, maybe when we started the book, we thought different was gender, national orientation, like sexual orientation, race. But now it's, holy cow, home status, health status, socioeconomic. Like there are so many more forms of difference. So leading difference is even more important today. And I think it's going to be permanently more important. So talk about that, because people, it seems to me that people will like hunker down. Like uh, we're going to, you know, I wrote a column last week in the Times about the worry that the big tech is just going to get bigger and just accelerate current trends as, as they are, and that everyone else will be sort of like limping and therefore not have the ability to differentiate themselves for one and two, to do anything but survive. And so they tend, people tend in fear to go back to what worked. Well, if they go back to what works, they'll probably get smaller. So mm -hmm. anything we can do to encourage people to go towards differentiation. I mean, let's take Uber. If Uber goes back to what works with, you know, largely undifferentiated rideshare between it and Lyft, that's not going to be the way out of this. But if we could put our daughters into an Uber after dark and feel safe, oh my gosh, that would be an amazing differentiation. So I think going back to what works is not going to work for very many companies, maybe the the big ones that you referenced. But even they are, uh, we're seeing signs that practices that were un, like that just we were intolerant of in the past, I think we're going to become more intolerant of as a society. So talk about that, like what? So I don't know Amazon at all. I only, mm -hmm. I have lots of students that have gone there. I just read the paper. Mm -hmm. But certainly there's a lot of protest 
from the employees and on behalf. And it reminds me of the work that used to be done about Walmart when like the world was captivated by how they were treating employees in the past. And they've come a long way since then. They certainly I think have. Amazon probably has a long way to come because it's printing money. <laughs> and if it doesn't treat its employees with dignity, I don't think its dominance is going to last. And there's like no reason not to. It almost seems like, why would you not decide to create really great jobs for people? Why would you not decide to be an well, amazing Well, that was their point of differentiation is how they treated employees. Like they, I'm going to work on a door and so are you. That, that's which is, you know, yeah. the mythology of that place. And, you know, just yet today or yesterday, Tim Bray, who's a very senior person there, wrote this. Uh, he's a he's a vice president, said he quit because he was toxic, what was happening. And he said the attacks on activists were chicken shit, among other things. It was a great essay, actually. I don't know if you saw so it. Let's, I did see it. So let's say it's true, because neither you nor I has any idea if it's true. But let's say if, if it's true. If they wanted to change that, it wouldn't take more than nine months. Right. This is like the my view of the world. And from what I can tell, it's Jeff Bezos. If Jeff Bezos wanted to be the role model from Ralston Company, and by the way, they lost money with all of this revenue now, they would make money with it. Like they would, if he wanted to fix it, it would not take very long. We know how to do it, but sometimes we get into a defensive crouch and we go to our old like strategy is war. Like we go right. into that. Yeah. And I just <laughs> would love to inject some updated thinking in it. So what would you do in that case? What you just, he has said he's going to spend $4 billion on safety. You know, he's saying, you know, That feels check the box to me. I think you have to just go down to the fundamental of who are our stakeholders and what's getting in the way of treating them with dignity. Mm -hmm. Like Amazon should have the greatest jobs in the world for its employees. Mm -hmm. Full stop. All of them. All of them. So like Costco shouldn't have better jobs for its employees than Amazon. Mm -hmm. Like they just quick trip shouldn't have better jobs for its employees than Amazon. And Amazon is super creative and super innovative. So figure out how to do it in a way that makes profits rise. And well, what's, I yeah. like dogs, keep going. Uh, yeah. So what, what, what prevents a company from doing that? Is it just the leader? Is it, the, well, in I this think, case, it probably but, is. Well, in this case, it probably is, although I don't know the company. And it's that, you know, look, we're the most successful company in the world and this is how we've done it. So how dare you suggest? And I would just say you're, you have achieved everything as a company, and now your job is to help change the world and teach the world how to do this. Right. And by the way, I would guarantee you would make much more money. Well, talk a little bit about that crouch, because it is something that you get from Mark Zuckerberg. You get the, you know, yeah. I, I'm considered mean. And I'm like, I don't think there's anything mean about not wanting you to have 100% of the market. I, I think that's perfectly a reasonable thing to request. And so how do you get them out into that zone of, that's beyond press release because a lot of it is check the box is exactly right. It's a press release. Yeah. Every time they do something, they put out a press release. I'm like, why don't you be quiet and give money? Like that would be a real pleasure. Like not to hear about how generous you are with. And in fact, if I put it up against your actual wealth, you're pretty cheap. You know, I don't even want to get into that with them. How do you get them to do that from the inside? I mean, I just poke them from the outside, but. So, I, I mean, to me, it comes down to trust, and trust has three components, authenticity, logic, and empathy. And I think the authenticity part is a little bit of a wobble, um, which is, I've met Mark Zuckerberg for three seconds, fleeting seconds, uh, so I don't know him at all. I suppose he's a very good guy. and yeah, he is. Like, I suppose he is. And so... It's getting in touch with his authenticity, like get, getting in touch with that good guyness that meets the logic of the business with empathy. So 
those three, to the extent that they're not coming together, I think it's like pebbles. I don't think it's boulders. And he's probably not thinking of all three at the same time. Who has done a successful job of that? Would you say Bill Gates or, you know, obviously... Well, Bill Gates, is. this generation of Bill Gates, yes. But I think his successor, like Satya, oh, <laughs> authentic, empathetic, empathetic logic. Because he, like, first of all, he acknowledged that culture is the part, he made that part of it. He has embracing difference. The business goes up while doing the right thing. In fact, the business goes up because of doing the right thing. He hits all things and he's got an amazing leadership team. I don't know if you've had the chance to meet Kathleen yes. Hogan, Peggy John. I mean, they're just- I, I know of Satya since he was a product manager. Okay, so-, so Nice guys finish first is how I look at him. And I, so if you look at me as like, what's the role model for doing the right thing? That's it. Mm-hmm. Why anyone would think they have to be in a defensive crouch as opposed to being completely open today. You know, I remember when I was talking to people on the, I spent time with a lot of boards of directors in the summer of 2017 when I was in Silicon Valley. And I was talking to one director and um, I was like, look, you've made so much money for your firm. Like, why are you all twisted up about short term dip? He's like, you have no idea what it's like to be me. And I was like, no, I don't. He said, if on my watch, the value goes down. I am the guy who had the value go down. So people aren't looking at it went up 20x. They're looking at today it went down. And it was the most amazing short-term thinking. I just like, my mind couldn't comprehend it. And it was an old way of thinking. I think that's what happens, which is sometimes why you need, this is why you need new leaders. When they can't shed the burdens of the past, you do need a new leader. Right. So right now, I always say when people do that to me, I'm like, you're so poor, all you have is money. Um, so, uh, so when you may borrow that, it's a well-known phrase, um, it works. They're like, Ugh, or else your mother didn't hug you enough, clearly, or your parents didn't hug you enough. <laughs> you and, and I like, are going to use very different sentences. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do tough love insulting. I'm going to teach at Harvard Business School. It's going to be called Insult Your Way to Success. Um, right now during the coronavirus, what are the key, but not being in the past, what do you think, what do you think is going to come out of this? And what is a you know, Satya is a good example, but what does a leader of the future look like? We'll finish up on that. Yeah, so I think a leader of the future is going to have to have empathy for very different stakeholders. I think it's not going to be shareholders as the prime. Many it's people gonna, have said this. Yeah, like I think, and I think empathy for each one of them. Our leader's job is to create far more value than they capture. Create far more value. The only way you can create a lot of value is if you unleash all of the people to do it. So you have to stop getting in the way of people and let them do amazing things and then be humble about capturing, like capture a fair amount, but don't be grotesque. Right. All right. So those things. And then getting through coronavirus, if you are a leader, what are the key things, no matter what business you're in? Yeah. So coronavirus has that we are all now a globally distributed company, even if we all live in Cambridge. Right. So it's like we are all... That And so in some ways, it's great because we get to see each other. Um, But in other ways, we're only going to talk to each other when we're on Zoom. So formal interactions are going to occur, but informal or not. So I would say that informal development actually matters a great deal in a company. So I would really concentrate on development. I would care less about promotions and I would care more about development. And I would think, how does informal development occur? Because that will casually work out for people that are like you you'll figure it out, but it will grind to a halt for people that are different than you. So what do you do over a Zoom connection until we can non-socially distance? Yeah, so one thing I would do is that if I had a one-on-one with you every week, I would have a one-on-one with you twice a week, but I would do it for shorter. 
And I would have the question of how can I be helpful? Like what's going on in your life? How can I be helpful? You know, what can we do so that your CV, like that you're psyched about your CV in three months? Like, what are the skills we can add? This is an amazing skill adding time. So I would back, you know, go back to basics on development, but I would do it. And then I would make education um, biased. I think it's the greatest gift you can give people. I would educate the heck out of people. And remote learning is awesome. Remote learning is often. All right. And what about people who don't have jobs? Like, what do they do? Like people who, there's going to be a lot of job losses, yeah. including at the very high levels throughout society. I would um, take the opportunity with all of the free education resources and skill up on something, whether it's something you're passionate about, something that you, we can see where the jobs are going to be. If you want to get prepared for where the jobs are going to be, again, there's no shortage of online things, but I would... Um, I would look like a different person from a capabilities perspective, and then I would find my way towards optimism. And I say that with deep humility. But um, we will hire optimists. We will. You will. One does. We will. Everyone will hire optimists. It's going to be really hard to get hired as a pessimist. Okay. <laughs> How do you do? See, that's why my book that's coming out is called <laughs> Staff Zero. I have been I have been working to rid myself of staff. So it's called Staff Zero, and then. The unapologetic leader gets to order herself around all day. Please feel free to make it a case study at Harvard Business School. What do you think? You know, think about it. Staff I, listen, Zero. Anne is the person to talk to. All right, Staff Zero, I'm telling you. All right, uh, I really appreciate it, Francis. This is great. And I hope Anne uh, is, uh, is better very soon. I hope Thank she you. breaks. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a really difficult time, and I hope she breaks and you get to see your kids really soon. It's Me a really too. yeah. I have a lot of children, as you know. Also. I, and congratulations. Um, Thank you. More children, more yeah. with the childrens. But it's great <laughs> to have them around. I have to say, um, it's a really even though everyone says their kids drive them crazy, and mine do every now and then. But it's really it's. I feel terrible that you don't have your kids with yeah. you, and I hope they're with you soon. Thank you very much. Um, and if you'd like to borrow one, my kid loves to talk about sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> to talk about sneakers endlessly, <laughs> about the bottoms of sneakers and the tops of sneakers and the leather on sneakers, I can send them your way. On uh, I, I, we may well greedily pick them up. <laughs> no, please don't. You're going to really regret that. Anyway, thank you for coming on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Erica Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Francis, where can people find you online and also Anne? So I can only be found on LinkedIn. I've been on LinkedIn since January, my first toe in the water. Uh, oh, nice. Anne is on LinkedIn and Twitter. Where can they find the book? Where can they find oh, it? Oh, it it's sold it anywhere out. where books are sold. Um, right. <laughs> I'd be grateful if you pre-ordered it because um, reorders occur by the number of pre-orders. Oh, great. Fantastic. And it comes out June 2nd. And uh, you may go on tour. Probably not. Probably not. All the oh, it's been, a lot of it's been canceled. So yeah. we were really yeah. looking forward to doing that together. Yep. And uh, it'll be yeah. delayed a year. Delayed. Okay. Yeah. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Pivot, Reset, Recode Media, and Land of the Giants. Just search them in your podcasting app of choice or tap a link in the show notes. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Rabe. Special thanks to Squadcast.fm. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Friday. Tune in then.